0: Good evening again, church. We've been enjoying our week of prayer here uh, these last few days and look forward to the rest of the week. God is doing a mighty thing. We serve an awesome God. Somebody say amen. amen. We serve the kind of God that even though we are humans and we are imperfect, yet God loves us anyways. And I love knowing that I serve a God who loves me, who loved me even before I was born, and who will love me throughout the ceaseless ages of eternity. I want to go tonight, as we talk on the subject the road less traveled, I want to go first to the book of 2 Corinthians, the 12th chapter. And I'm going to read verses uh, 7 through 10 Second Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10. The scripture says in Second Corinthians 12 and verse 7, And lest I should be exalted above measure, through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glorify in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. If the Christian life is a journey, if, if we are going somewhere, depending on the age in which you live, you would need fuel to make the journey. In our age, of course, we use automobiles. If we, we look at it from a spiritual standpoint, I want to submit to you that the, the gasoline that it would take to spiritually reach your destination, is humility. In order to get from what you are and who you are to where God wants you to be, the fuel that will drive you there, that will power you there, the engine, is humility. And what do I mean by that? Well, what I mean is, as you are going through life, you have forces working upon you. One of them is one that will always want you to preserve yourself, but more than just preserve yourself in our society, it will cause you to want to exalt yourself. By nature, human beings like attention, and this is why we are we are given parents and and we and we're nursed in the way we are uh, the way that. Even our minds develop, so that studies show that even in adolescence, even in our teenage years, the human mind is still developing to the point where they, even in the teenage years, humans still need the guidance of, uh, of those who are older and wiser. Because at the end of the day, especially when you're a teenager, we, you kind of feel like you are invincible so God, in his wisdom, gave us parents. He gave us church elders. He gave us aunts, uncles, grandmothers to, to help, to guide us, so that we wouldn't, in thinking we are the center of the universe, destroy ourselves. When I was a teenager, I can tell you I pretty much did think I was invincible for the most part. And we did all kinds of crazy things that when I look back on it, I can't imagine how we even survived some of the, the fights that we got into on the basketball court, sometimes uh even being chased by people who had guns and so forth. I look back on it, and I wonder how did we ever make it through? And, and as I look back on it, I realize that God even begins to protect you before you're wise enough to know to protect yourself. With that said, I want to illustrate my point for tonight from an Old Testament story. So we're going to flip back to the book of Judges, the 16th chapter, Because I want to set the stage for what I think is one of the lost pieces of, uh, lost secrets, I should say, of Christianity. If You go back to the book of Judges, and you find in Judges, the 16th chapter, you'll find one of my favorite Bible stories coming to an end. There was this great, strong young man who, like most, or many young men, Thought he was invincible. He had super strength even. And I grew up reading comic books until a preacher came to our church and preached against comic books and my mother made me throw them all away. Um, And I love this idea of people having super, super strengths and super, you know, being superheroes. So Samson always, I just love Samson because he was the one true super strong superhero the world probably has ever known. Samson was powerful. As a matter of fact, even in his um growth in the way he was developed, God made it plain that Samson's mother was not supposed to drink alcohol even before he was born and set the stage for his life he He was not supposed to drink alcohol and but but Samson, as he grew stronger bigger i'm assuming more handsome, Samson had a problem Samson it turned out liked women far more than he was supposed to and ironically he didn't like. The women of the church. For some reason, for Samson, the women of the of of, of the Philistines seemed far more attractive than the women of Israel. Now, I don't know, maybe in Israel they couldn't they didn't wear makeup or jewelry. Um, Maybe their clothes was more conservative. So maybe he found the women of Israel more boring. I don't know why Samson had this thing. Sometimes, you know, as as when you're growing up, you you kind of have, uh, you crave sometimes what you know you're not supposed to have. In our churches, one of the things I always talk about is the fact that so many of our young women seem to want to get with the guys who are the most troubled. They, they have a I I call a thug complex. They want a thug. And, you know, as, the, as when I was a youth pastor and I talked to these young ladies, I said, now what in the world do you want with this boy? He, 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 you know, he's, he's flunked out of every high school in the Inland Empire. What possibly do you think he's going to do for you? His teeth are covered in metal and a dentist didn't put the metal there. His breath smells like a bag of quarters. He, I mean, well, what would you want this young man for? They have the idea that, well, he's cute. I can change him. And they get this complex, so it doesn't just men; it's it's women. And of course, later down down the road, it all plays itself out. And he goes from the cute thug to you know every foul name in the book. Samson had that kind of an issue. He liked women. Now, I have to admit, as a Christian, God designed men to like women. Fundamentally, and I tell you, in this day and age, I'm actually glad when I hear men do like women. <laughs> I run across so many nowadays that don't. But Samson was dealing with some serious issues. So here he is super strong, able to take the jawbone of a donkey and slay a thousand of the Philistines, tie the tails of foxes together and burn down their crops and destroy them and take the gate off of the, off of the wall of the city, even with the posts and walk it up to the top of the hill and Plunge it into the hill. He was a strong, strong young man with the ability to literally deliver Israel from her enemies single-handed. Now, let's, let's, let's make sure we get the, get the full depth of the story, BC, because Samson really represents the fact that, that he had the ability to do, if we were to kind of convert it to our situation, he could preach the gospel with the kind of power where souls would give their lives to the Lord. He had the kind of voice that if he sang, you know, just to translate it out of fighting in old Israel, if he sang, people wanted to just come weeping, crying and, and pour out their hearts and give their lives to Jesus. He was given talent, a, a, a special gift as it were, that when used appropriately, it benefited the kingdom of God and moved forward the people of God. yet Samson did not get it. Why? Because Samson was arrogant. He had a terrible combination. He was arrogant and special. So the Bible shows us what happens to Samson. And again, this is one of those secrets. I don't think a lot of people realize what happens in the story of Samson. If you look at it, he goes here, he finds a a harlot that he joins himself to, a woman by the name of Delilah, which means deceiver. She was a prostitute. Samson falls in love with her so if you look at we'll start at around verse 15 and, he, and, and, and at this point um, the Philistines have come to Sam, uh, to Delilah and said that they would pay her 11,000 pieces of silver each if she would find out Samson's weakness and they could destroy Samson now Delilah was a gold digger so she, it just took one time for them to say that and she was on the game she wanted to get Samson now because this would give her riches for the rest of her life Verse 15, after he has, he's kind of lied to her a few times, the Bible says uh, three times he's lied to her, which tells me that there was something about Samson where he really wanted her to know his secret and knew what the consequences would be. In other words, sometimes as Christians, we give up. we We, we almost voluntarily turn over our spiritual strength. If you get tired of of, of being the, the 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 preacher, you get tired of witnessing, you get tired of, of trying to do Bible studies. Sometimes you commit spiritual suicide. You give up to the enemy, and and it looks like an accident, like in the story. But sometimes you're looking for a way out. And I've met I've met many Christians like Samson who they're just looking for an excuse to no longer be God's man or God's woman. I met a lot of them at Oakwood College. At Oakwood College, it was as if everybody that came had to take a singing audition before they got to the school. Literally, anybody opened their mouth to sing, and it was like angels. I mean, I I felt like the only guy there that couldn't sing. I mean, there were girls who said they would never sing in front of anyone at Oakwood, that when they sang, there's not one recording artist today, not one, that could compare to the voices these young ladies had. And yet they were too afraid to sing in front of the crowds at Oakwood College. One of my favorite people that I used to like to hear sing when I was at Oakwood is a famous singer now. His name is Brian McKnight. He's a popular singer, and I'll never forget. I think I told a story this weekend at Advent Hope. Brian McKnight, I came into AY one of the first Friday nights at Oakwood, and he was singing an old commission song, Running Back to You. I see you standing there for me. Your arms are open wide, and he's singing about coming back to Jesus and how many young people, including myself, were moved to give their lives to Jesus because of how he sang the song. Yet, like Samson, it was as if he was happy to sign the contract for the secular music deal that he finally signed so that he could get out of the position of having to be God's man. Samson figures out in verse fifteen, and she said unto him, How canst thou say I love thee when thine heart is not with me? Thou hast mocked me of these three times, and hast told me, has not told me wherein thy great strength lieth. I always tell young people, be careful, when someone when your when your love for them is dependent on what you do for them, especially when what you do for them goes against God's will. So when that boy says, if you love me, you do this, young ladies, if what he's asking you to do is not does not line up with God's word, it is because he, like Delilah, is a deceiver, and he is working for the enemy. Did you know that you or I, or, or in any situation, you can become the very mouthpiece of the enemy? And you have these young men with their seductive words trying to, to, you know, to convince young ladies of how beautiful they are so they can get with them, and it's almost as if the enemy gives them words to speak. Young women, be careful. Don't be flattered into sin. Delilah's trying to flatter Samson into sin. And it, come, and it came to pass when she pressed him daily with her words and urged him so that his soul was vexed unto death. He, he told her all his heart and said unto her, There hath not come a razor upon mine head, for I have been a Nazarite unto God from my mother's womb. If I be shaven, then my strength will go from me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. And when Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called for the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up this once, for he has showed me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up unto her and brought money in their hand. And she made him sleep on her knees. Ah, I want to submit to you that as a Christian, you've got to be careful. Because sometimes we lay our heads in the lap of our enemies. Sometimes as Christians, we put our trust, our our very thought processes, our minds, and we place them in the lap of those who seek to do us the most damage. And it isn't physical always. I'm not just talking about relationships. I was watching uh, late night, setting up, uh, moving my furniture around in my office at the house and doing some stuff and turned on the TV in the other room to listen while I was doing this. And on that one o'clock in the morning or so, Oprah Winfrey's show from one of the shows from the week was on and Denzel Washington was being interviewed. I thought it was interesting, Denzel Washington. So I said, hey, let me listen to Denzel. Everybody likes Denzel. Denzel. Denzel Washington said something that blew me away. Oprah Winfrey asked him, and I'm talking about having our laps in the heads of our enemies. Oprah Winfrey asked Denzel Washington, how is it that in the movie Glory, which is one of the classic movies that he did on the Civil uh, War in the United States, how is it in the scene where you were whipped, he was playing the part of a slave, whipped, and you stood there and took the whipping and just one tear rolled down your face? Oprah Winfrey said, how did you do that? That was a masterpiece of, 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 of acting. How could you have done that? Denzel Washington said something that showed me we often put our trust in the wrong people and in the wrong things. He said he got on his knees and prayed. I said, well, Denzel prays. He kept talking about God throughout the whole interview. He sounded like a Christian, except he never said the name of Jesus. And he said he got down on his knees and prayed. And I assumed he'd say he prayed to God to ask him for strength. No, he said, and she actually said, do you always have to get on your knees to pray? He said, no, I can do it. stand. I can pray standing up any kind of way. And I said, well, that's good. He, pray, he knows that prayer is a conversation with God. But Then he said he prayed to the spirits. He said he prayed to the spirits of dead slaves who had been whooped. And he said to them, come, go with me. All of you, come with me. I mean, I don't know if you... I'm looking for the transcript. I'd love to have it to put up on a PowerPoint. He said, come go with me. And and he said, as he went out to do the scene, these spirits of dead slaves went with him, and they took over. And that's why he played the scene so well. Could it be that we sometimes are laying our heads in the very laps of our enemies? Women faint if Denzel Washington walks in. If I took Denzel to Rubidoux next Sabbath and walked him down the front out of the church, women would be swooning over. we would have to run him out of the place because they'd chase him all over the building. Yet, has anyone asked where are these people, these people who are so influential, where are they getting their source of strength from? Where does it come from? Here's a man who says he prayed to the spirits and the spirit of dead slaves. Now, as a Christian that knows scripture, I know that the spirit of dead slaves couldn't have helped him. Instead, it, there were, those were demons that would have gone into him. And, and as I did more research, Pastor G. Craig Lewis, who does this, the Truth Behind Hip Hop series, says that when they're making the movie Malcolm X, Denzel Washington stood and recited an entire speech that Malcolm X once did without ever reading it. Never saw the speech before. Again, Spirits. Do you know, when you listen to secular music, who wrote it? Who wrote the song? When you sit in front of uh, 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 Pixar or or Disney or or, or Paramount or, or, or DreamWorks movies, whose lap are you placing your head in? Who's in control of the information you're about to get? Who's whispering those sweet nothings in your ears? Could it be that we trust the media and Hollywood and and, and, and the the influence of stars so much that we're willing to take the influence of of a Britney Spears or a a Jay-Z or a Beyonce young people and just accept it when realistically they are deceiving us because they don't know the God that they keep talking about? And I warn us as Christians that we ought to be very careful where we lay our heads. We ought to be very careful what we listen to, what we watch, who we make as our close friends. Like they say in Jamaica, if you lay with dogs, you rise with fleas. Where have you laid your head? Samson laid his head in the lap of Delilah, and while he slept, thinking he had his head in the on the lap of a woman who loved him, she called for a man, the Bible says in verse 19, and she caused him to shave off the seven locks of his head, and she began to afflict him, and his strength went from him. She toyed with him first, now watch what she does, this gets good, and she said, the Philistines be upon thee, Samson, and he awoke out of his sleep. And said, I will go out as other times before and shake myself. And he wist not, he knew not that the Lord was departed from him. Yeah, let me tell you, as a Christian, it's hard to jump out of a spiritual sleep into a spiritual battle. You can't be a sleeping Christian straight through every day. You just kind of wandering around sleepwalking through your spiritual life, and expect that when, when the spiritual battles in your life come, when difficult times come, that you're just going to jump up out of your sleep and start to fight. We talked about that earlier in the week. you got to be training all the time. you got to be, be preparing all the time. Be sober, be vigilant. For your adversary, the devil, like a roaming lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. You can't afford to sleep. But he didn't know that the Lord had left him. You see, and let me say it this way. You know, we look at it like, well, how God left him? Let me say that what God tends to do is allow your choices to determine whether or not his presence will stay with you. If you keep choosing the opposite of God, God's not going to force himself on you. When you make it obvious after the fourth time with Delilah, She finally shaves his head off. God has to almost step back, because if you read the story of Job, the devil would be there arguing his point that, wait a minute, he doesn't want your presence. Isn't it obvious he doesn't want your presence? How many prostitutes does he have to spend the night with? How many times now he's given away his secret? How, How can you justify staying there, God? And God being a fear and just God, and and knowing that there is a big, great controversy, he must pull back and allow the effects of sin to run their course. The story goes on, and from there he's captured, jumps up to fight. The Spirit of God has left him. He goes to fight. Now he has no strength. He's taken, bound. And the first thing they do, one of the first things they do, is pluck out his eyes. Why is that relevant? Because the his eyes, to them was one of the sources of his strength. He could see them so he could fight them. But God allowed it to happen because on the flip side, his eyes were also his weakness. So God took away, Now that's why I read Paul first. Because you see, sometimes things, bad things happen to us, and we assume what God is doing a terrible thing to us. But sometimes God allows us to go through the difficult times. He allows us to go through these things because he's pruning us. And what God does is he uses difficulties and and, and persecutions. He, He uses trials as his scalpel to surgically resect from off of you the cancers of your arrogance, the cancer of your pride. And what God is really trying to get us to do is to be humble. Because I say it all the time, there's really no such thing as an arrogant Christian. An arrogant Christian is an oxymoron. The two can't exist at the same time. This is one of the reasons why we have to be careful, even as Adventists. We've got to be careful because a lot of times we come across as arrogant. You've got to make sure you come across humble. You can't come across like you're the one with all the answers all the time. You can't come across like because someone else is dealing with a sin issue, they're dealing with a difficulty. You can't try and come across like you have, like because of their problems or their weaknesses that somehow they are, have not arrived or, or they don't have God's love. Remember David at what stage in his life he slept with another man's wife and had her husband killed. David had already slain Goliath. They had already sung Saul had killed his thousands and David had killed his tens of thousands. David had proven himself as a warrior in the army of God, yet David fell on his face hard. David was wise. He knew as soon as his sin was uncovered in Psalm 51, he says, don't let your spirit, don't take your spirit from me. Samson didn't know to make that prayer, so Samson... The spirit left him. Ah, here's the secret. Here's where it gets powerful. As Samson is there, the Bible says in verse 22, howbeit the hair of his head began to grow again after he was shaven, the lords of the Philistines, in verse 23, gathered them together for, for to offer a great sacrifice unto Dagon their God and to rejoice. For they said, Our God hath delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hands. And when the people saw him, they praised their God. For they said, Our God hath delivered us into, uh, into our hands, our enemy, and the destroyer of our country, which slew many of us. And it came to pass, when their hearts were merry, that they said, Call for Samson, that he may make a sport. And they called for Samson out of the prison house and he made them sport and they set him between the pillars. Little children would come and tease Samson, throw things at him. I can imagine they laughed at Samson. Can you imagine in that hall how they, how they ridicule Samson? I want to submit to you that sometimes God has to bring you way down. You've got to be the butt of the joke. When I was growing up, being a, it was not easy in public school to be a seven-day Adventist. We caught all kinds of jokes. We couldn't go to the prom. We, 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 didn't, we couldn't go to the football games on Saturday afternoon. We couldn't do anything. And there were many of the young people who grew up in our church with me who were angry at the church because they couldn't do something. And even to this day, I hear young Adventists almost as if they're mad because being Adventists, they feel so restricted. But I want to submit to you that if it wasn't for the Adventist church, I wouldn't be standing here today. It was those restrictions on all of those things and many others, including Saturday morning cartoons, which I never ever saw, and and, and comic books that had to be thrown away and all kinds of other stuff, that when someone offered me cocaine, I knew well enough that I couldn't touch that stuff. When they offered marijuana, when, when they tried to get me to go with them as they were going to rob banks. Yes, I had friends who robbed banks. And they're still sitting in the state penitentiary in Florida. But I knew enough because I was raised to be different. I was raised to take a stand for what God says and not to live simply to be popular. And I submit to you that that's important, that you learn that, that you can't always be popular. Samson, it took him all of his life, and for them to take out his eyes, and for him to be a prisoner of the Philistines, for him to get it in his head the right way, that he was not the source of his own strength. So the Bible shows me something powerful. And Samson said unto the lad, this little boy that held him by the hand, Suffer me, that I may feel the pillars whereupon the house standeth, that I may lean upon them. The Bible says that the house was full of men and women, verse 27. And all the lords of the Philistines were there, and there were upon the roof about 3,000 men and women that beheld while Samson was made sport. And Samson called unto the Lord and said, O Lord God, Remember me, I pray thee, and strengthen me, I pray thee, only this once. Just one time, Lord. The prayer is powerful because the Bible already makes it clear that God had left Samson. Why is this important? Because many of us live our lives thinking that we can go so far out of God's will that somehow God will forget us. We live our lives thinking that we can commit such extreme sin that, that we can get outside of the reach of God's grace. And I submit to you that anybody who tries to convince you that, there is, that you've gone too far for God to love you is someone who does not know the power of God's love. I'm telling you that there's no, you can't go so far that God's love isn't there. I can tell you from the story of Samson. Here, the Bible makes it clear God left him. His spirit had to be withdrawn from him. He was allowed to suffer the consequences of his sin. And yet, when Samson was humbled and called on the name of the Lord, God returned to him his strength. And in his death, Samson killed more Philistines than he did in his life. I want to submit to all of the young people in here that you live in a time like never before. Most old people, they don't have any clue how difficult it is to be a young person in this day and age. When I was growing up, my mother used to listen to the oldies. And, of course, I was the 70s, so the oldies were from the 40s and 50s and 60s. And she'd listen, and there was a song I used to remember in my head. It said, Wake up, little Susie. And this was a song and the whole point of the song was, and I don't remember the words, but the point of the song was, wake up, Susie, we've fallen asleep by accident. If I don't hurry up and get you home, people are going to think we we slept together. I've got to hurry up and get you home. That was a popular song. That's not the way they make songs anymore. Britney Spears says, I'm not that innocent. Madonna said, I'm like a virgin. And I could go on and on. It's a different world for young people today. There was no MTV, no BET. All of the pressures to, to have sex and take drugs weren't constantly being pounded into the minds of young people 40 or 50 years ago. Today now, young people live in a time when it's all about you and and all of the shows and homosexuality is out of the closet and down the li- down the stairs and out of the front door and parading the streets of America. It's a different time. Yet, even with the changes in time, there is no excuse for sin. I believe God still is able to keep us. But I meet so many people in my practice as a physician who, when I talk to them, former Christians of many faiths, former Adventists who say to me, I, you know, I stopped going to church because I just felt like I didn't fit in, like, like I wouldn't be accepted. I've heard people look me in the face and tell me I, I couldn't go on as a Christian because, because I don't think God could accept me with the life that I've lived. And, you know, they come to us and most times what we want to do is tell them what not to do. We want to give them all of the do's and the don'ts. And and don't get me wrong, I told you it wasn't for the do's and don'ts, I wouldn't be standing here. But at the same time, we take people who are broken and and rather than encouraging them and, and giving them all of the Bible stories like this one that show you that there's a road less traveled when you find God's love that even if you have been a complete failure like the thief on the cross... When you come to know God, he is merciful, he is gracious, his his love is everlasting. Jesus didn't come all the way to earth and go on the cross so so that you could think his love couldn't reach you? And I challenge you as Christians to bathe in his love. You see, because you can't get true obedience until you have experienced his love. Because the Bible says it is the love of Christ that constraineth us. If you're trying to behave right by any other power than by the power of Jesus' love, it is self-righteousness and ultimately you will fail. I want Jesus' love to be so in me, so upon me, that when sin comes in front of me, I can't do it because I could never hurt the one who loves me so much. Real quickly, I was working at the, the veterans hospital. And a gentleman came in. as the addiction medicine clinic. And he came in and he asked me, he said, he walked into the, the clinic room and he said, I want to die. I said, what happened? I mean, you just got here. He said, listen, you know, two years ago, my, my mother died. He said, a year ago, my father died. He said, even my dog died a few weeks ago. He said, I just want to die. I have nothing to live for. He told me about his experiences in Vietnam and the drug addiction that started while serving our country in Vietnam and, 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 and how his wife, while he was there, left him for another man but kept collecting the checks. He told me how he was molested by a man when he was a child and, and had struggled with bisexuality on and off in his life. The drugs, the, the life, the nightclubs. He began to explain as a 40-something-year-old man at the time, and he was explaining to me all of the depths of sin he had and he looked at me and he said, I simply want to die. I took out a government-issued VA progress note paper and began to write upon it the plan of salvation. Explaining to him how Jesus left his place in glory and and thought it not robbery to come to earth and to dwell among men. How Jesus left his throne in glory and was born in a manger surrounded by animals, not even having a room to be born into. How he lived the perfect, sinless life and and went all the way to Calvary and died on the cross and shed his blood so that even if you, sir, were the only one left who needed to be redeemed, his blood would be there to be applied to your life so that you could be saved. The man began to cry. He said, you mean Jesus died for me? Began to tell me that when he was a child, he went to church and he remembered the stories of Jesus. But he said he thought he had gone so far into sin that there was no way Jesus could ever accept him. I said, brother, I've got good news for you. You didn't get me as your doctor today by accident. God wanted you to know that there is a bomb in Gilead and all of the hurt, all of the pain, all of the suffering, the addiction that you have, God has sent me to tell you it's over. That you can now accept him as your savior and live a new life. We fell on our knees on the floor of the Veterans Hospital and we prayed as he sobbed and agonized over his life, weeping and crying. And he gave his life to Jesus right there. I saw that man one week later. Shouting down the hallways of the Veterans Hospital, Brother Doctor, Brother Doctor. He came running and threw his arms around me. He said, I have not even had the slightest craving for drugs or alcohol since we prayed that day. He said, the only problem I have is that they keep kicking me out of the Narcotics Anonymous and the Alcoholics Anonymous meetings because I'm calling on Jesus' name too much. Even when I was moonlighting in the ER and the VA two or three years later, that man was still a devout Christian. Brothers and sisters, tonight I want you to understand that God's love is not only there to save you from your sin, not just there to save you in your sin, but it is what gives you the power to gain victory over sin. You want to live a life where you are not so easily falling into sin be permeated and covered with God's love. When Samson found out how much God loved him, he was changed. By God's grace, each of us will find out how much God loves us and be changed. As every head is bowed and every eye is closed. Father God, we thank you. The Lord, there's nothing we could do to cause you to stop loving us. Lord, we thank you because you so love this world that you gave your only begotten son. And Lord, we just need to believe on Jesus and receive eternal life. Father God, remind us that you are not sitting in heaven with a lightning bolt waiting to zap us when we do wrong. But like a loving parent, you... Lord, you are trying to guide us and direct us for that which will lead us into abundant life. Lord, there's some here under the sound of my voice who who truly need to rededicate their lives to you, recommit their lives to you. Father God, tonight, let not fanaticism be what we follow. Let not legalism of the Pharisees be what we follow. Lord, let not uh, unabashed liberalism be what we follow. Let us follow Jesus. Let us follow his loving ways. Let us follow, Lord, his rebuke of sin. But Lord, let us bathe in his love and know Jesus as our personal Savior. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Let the church say amen and amen.